In 2005, I was asked to present a very short channel for mini-series called How to Get a Book Deal. Now, whenever you're writing a non-fiction book and whenever they're choosing someone to be the presenter of a show, one of the key questions in the pitch is why them? Why him? Why her? Why me? Why should this person be the author or the presenter of this book or show? Why is this person the right person to tell this story, to make this argument, to investigate this issue? And sometimes the answer is because they're famous and, and, and that will attract attention to the topic. Sometimes it's because they're famous, but also they have been affected by the issue. Maybe, you know, they it's a show about mental illness and, and they've been affected by depression themselves or they've lost somebody in their family or in their friendship group who uh, or, or who suffered from that mental illness or perhaps that person, you know, uh, just went through it and uh, is all right now, but they want to understand... They want to empathise with their friend. Perhaps this person is an expert. They're a, a doctor. They are a researcher in the field. And they are the right person because they've spent much of their professional career looking at it. I, I didn't meet any of those criteria when I was asked to do the show. I <laughs> wasn't a professional author. I wasn't famous. I hadn't ever got a book deal. Um, but the idea was that it was going to be a bit tongue-in-cheek, I think. The idea was that they were going to follow me going to the Hay Festival, which is, a, if you don't know, a, a sort of big book festival. It's not a sort of big book festival. It's literally a big book festival in the UK. I'm not sure if it's still the biggest book festival in the UK. I certainly, when I went to the Edinburgh, I don't know if it's Edinburgh Book Festival or Edinburgh Literature Festival, I can never remember. Um, that seemed at least as big. But it, it's had some high-profile names there over the years, and certainly it is a uh, popular and well-attended book for, at least it was last time I checked. Uh, and at the time... Channel 4 had... It was sponsored by Channel 4 and The Guardian, so Gar The Guardian would give it loads of... Because they were the sponsors, would give it loads of coverage and kind of other newspapers with a little bit cock-a-snook at it because it was The Guardian's kind of thing. And, and then Channel 4 had sort of exclusive rights to broadcast it, so I think that's why they had this extra programme. They were just trying to squeeze as much content out of it as they possibly could. And the idea was that I would go there as a an aspiring author, because I was doing the Masters in Prose Fiction at uh, the University of East Anglia at the time, and I would try to seek a book deal. Hello, by the way, my name's Tim Clare. This is a podcast about writing for writers, for readers, and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. It's Death of a Thousand Cuts, 
making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. I hope you're super well. Uh, today's episode is a little bit of a writing ramble. It's me talking on a subject I wanted to talk about for a while. Not that long, to be fair. About a week. So no, it's not been, not been nagging at me for ages. This isn't something I'm finally uh, getting down to. But I, I do writing ramble episodes every now and then where I just talk and I don't script it and I don't really plan what I'm going to talk about. Maybe I have a topic in mind. Often I really, really don't at all. And uh, I just talk it through on mic. Uh, if you've never listened to the podcast before, you might like to go to one of the more scripted episodes or indeed to one of my interviews with authors, poets, playwrights, different people who make stories. Because I'm always really super keen to get people in to get their perspectives because we're all very different, aren't we? And Sometimes I'm just objectively wrong as well. Sometimes I can't even defend my position from the uh, from the uh, a recondite bulwark of ideological relativism. I'm just wrong, and so it's useful to me that we triangulate uh, from a multitude of sources, and you can kind of pick the sweet corn out of uh, that particular literary log and um, decide for yourself what works for you and, and what doesn't work for you. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraging selection bias, but I'm, I'm gussing it up as, as, as openness and intellectual curiosity <laughs> because I'm prepared to sell out any of my principles if only you'll like me. But today I want to talk about this subject and I'm using the Hey on Why and How to Get a Book Deal uh, TV show. And I put TV show in heavy inverted commas because it, it, it barely was I think we made about nine minutes of television for for a while early in my career I, I didn't mention that I'd say Tim Clare was the presenter of Channel 4's How to Get a Book Deal because that sounded more impressive than the truth and I think you'll find a lot of people in well you know we were all, all doing it in poetry and you know you, I think when you start off you're always trying to and it was cool like I'm not complaining but I'm just saying you know uh, it was it was a really fun and I was really lucky to do it but we try and you I guess the reason I'm saying it is if you look around you and see these people with all these impressive sounding biogs um that is you know they are making their CV look as good as it possibly can and and the truth is probably slightly less impressive than they are they're making out because we all do that to start with and then we all feel a bit lonely and that's you know uh conveniently what today's episode is about and what I want to talk about um, it's about fitting in and a sense of belonging and a sense of having found your people and a sense of being in the right place and a sense of feeling comfortable and a sense of community and the idea of insiders and outsiders and how that relates to writing and how that relates to the literary world and it is in fact a topic so big that there is no way that I can just put it to bed in one episode and I'm always going to be coming at it from one perspective. And of course, you know, we may not agree. I think some people come into this with their mind already kind of made up. And I always want to sort of prod at stuff and ask questions. I know we've we've made a, a bogeyman of um, people who are quote unquote just asking questions because we always imagine because of the darned internet that that's always done in in bad faith 
and the people aren't just asking questions they're being mischievous uh or they are really kind of they they're the kind of moral hypocrites who are using just asking questions as a as a fig leaf for uh, uh promoting unpleasant views but i genuinely that's what i want to do i i i I don't have i don't have a i'm not coming into this i rarely come into the the writing rambles with like a with like a take with like a very clear idea that i I want to pursue And, and probably i they would be much more coherent if i did there's a uh there's a great essay on right wing talk radio by the author of um infinite jest david foster wallace uh he did a really great sort of non-fiction essay on right-wing talk radio where he kind of sits in on a uh a host and talks through how an episode is recorded and how arguments are formed and you know one of his things that he argues is that you you know you have to have to be able to speak extemporaneously and interestingly and provocatively to fill the kind of airtime that these hosts do and to do it in a way that encourages people to to call in and listen you have to have quite a simple ideology is his position because you have to be able to articulate these things very quickly uh very very succinctly but also keep going if no one's ringing in to be able to take almost any kind of news item and find the story in it and to be able to present your position very clearly and then that doesn't that does not that's not a situation that is conducive to nuance anyway it's a great essay if you david foster wallace if you get to read his uh, you can just it's online if you just google david foster wallace and, and and radio talk radio then you can read it uh, it's really good and it has his his trade some of his trademark use of uh footnotes which i you know that's one of my unpopular opinions about writing is that footnotes are wonderful actually and i love to see them in all text and i put them in my stuff all the time and my editor says please take it out tim like if it's worth writing it's worth writing in the main body of the text if it's too boring for the main text or 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 too digressional maybe consider it shouldn't be in there could you have you heard of just cutting stuff out and um i think she is by and large probably right but it's a sickness and i feel continually that i have to do it anyway look so I went to back to the story and welcome. The main thing I wanted to say is if you haven't listened to the Death of a Thousand Cuts before, welcome. Um, the Writing Ramble episodes are sometimes uh, discursive, long. They don't, they're not punchy like good podcasting tends to be. They're not edited. There's The ums aren't cut out. The build-ups to ideas are not cut out. We don't just get to the the punch I, I, I you're not going to hear me say three sentences uh of of just a clearly expressed position and then some pizzicato strings cut in and, and then i'll i'll go but what does it mean to fit in like that's not going to happen it's going to be just a guy in a room about the size of a service elevator talking to himself about something that he doesn't currently have any strong opinions about 
strap in. So I went and did this show and the idea was that I was going to be there as a kind of outsider trying to pitch my book to people at the festival with a film crew following me around. And it was just like stupid from the beginning. I was writing anthropomorphic fantasy about like a a a a dog boy and some cyclopses cyclopies anyway and hay festival is by and large like a literary fiction festival well no that's not true actually no it does represent crime it does represent romance to a certain extent certainly general fiction and in the years since then, you know, the 70 children's fiction is represented. It doesn't have a great representation of genre fiction. But anyway, all the people that they made contact with, because it was all bollocks, right? Like I wasn't really finding people and pitching my book to them. They, the film crew arranged that I would speak to people and then I would just go up to them. And we would film segments where it would appear that I, so, you know, someone was giving me a tip off and or they they'd make me speak to an agent who'd say oh you should speak to such and such an editor as as if that person but it was all shot out of sequence and i was very i was very very disillusioned with television i was like this is all lies this isn't i haven't i haven't talked my way into a literary party this was set up it you know so it was all nonsense Except that not everything was totally explained to the people I was talking to. So sometimes I was having to then on camera say, would you like to read my book? And they would say no. <laughs> because, of course, what I hadn't sort of fully internalised was that it wasn't supposed to be a show or a programme where I did super well all the way through. Uh, it, it wasn't supposed to be a success story. I was supposed to kind of be an underdog and like a bit of a wally that was the angle they were going for i imagined that it was my incredible charisma that had made them choose me but i think it was my willingness to do anything that was asked of me and that i looked a bit hangdog and pathetic was the, their real reason for choosing me in any case this involved me, you know, wandering around the festival. I had to crawl through a field of wheat or something. Uh, I think it was like eight in the morning towards a cottage that an editor was staying at. As if I'd sort of stalked him and I was approaching him. To shut, and I'd found out where he was staying and that I was approaching him that way. Don't ever do that, right? Like, that's such an irresponsible thing to put on TV because it was never framed as a joke. Like, it was like, this is what I'm actually doing. Don't do that. Admittedly, that person did ultimately become <laughs> my, my in-real-life editor. Uh, well, yeah, it is publishing how his publishers did acquire my book so 
I guess I'm saying do as I say, not as I do. But I don't think it was as a result of that. Uh, is what I'd say. And but anyway, this but this, that speaks to this. But what I, what, what I want to say is that I, I remember going to the Channel Four party, and they had trays of oysters and champagne, and I found myself standing at the cheese board next to Jon Snow, the Channel 4 News presenter, not the character from Game of Thrones. I, not exactly knowing what to do, I said hello. And he said hello. I didn't have anything else to say and then I felt very embarrassed. And and then I sort of spent the rest of that. So I turned up at that party because I'd been told to act out sneaking in. I wasn't, I, my name was on the list. They let me in. But I had to pretend that I talked my way in. And then we didn't film anything there, really. And I sat at that party at Hay and Why Book Festival on my own. And I felt very weird and small. I hadn't expected to feel like that. I I'd, I'd, I'd expected to feel like a sort of insider like I was fi- I'd finally made it but I didn't feel like that at all I felt weird and awkward and like a very little boy even though I was 25 <laughs> at the time and I still feel like that now a lot of the time and eventually somebody who I think maybe was like work was like a working as a as a circus dancer at Hay on Y or something she kind of sat down by me and I talked to her and I I said that I felt very sort of shy and like an outsider and she said yeah I feel yeah I feel like that too a lot of the time and we just sat there a little bit and then I and then I went and then I went back to my tent because I was staying in a tent and that was that was kind of it I didn't get a book deal out of recording all that I didn't get anything really out of it except I managed to pitch a Guardian article off the uh, opinion column off the back of it where I was just rude and provocative because I thought that's how you got atten- attention. And it turns out it is. I was ahead of my time in many ways. Um, but I, you know, I th- I'd like to think I'm slightly better than that now. But it was weird that the more I, I got to the stage of being the most getting the most contact with publishing I'd ever had. Getting the most access to people. You know, I chatted with uh, Terry Pratchett. I'm sure I've mentioned that before because it was really nice and he was actually lovely and he made me feel very welcome. He was a super great. And I know it's no great revelation to say Terry Pratchett is capable of being friendly and welcoming. Um, and, you know, some people want to emphasise that, you know, there's more to him than just being nice. But I do not think it is any... Uh, any slur on someone's character that there's a stereotype about them being nice in the anecdotes that people tell about them that is uh, like, by, you know if I if that was the my, the legacy I left for the world that people erroneously had the impression that I was always very nice uh, I, I think I'd be doing pretty well and that was my experience of him that he was uh, he, he was he was seemed genuinely interested he made me feel like he was genuinely interested and he talked about books and he talked about my work and um, it was really nice. Uh, but he, I also talked to a few editors, talked to some agents, 
talked to some authors at some point we talked to Stephen Fry I remember it that was that was kind of it and um so I was kind of on the inside for the first time in my life and more than I'd ever been before and I never had felt so out of place so small like such an intruder so weird and so peculiar so the question I asked a couple of days ago on Twitter because I'm back on my bullshit on Twitter I, I, I quit it or at least take a break every so often because it's just not it doesn't bring out my best side or anyone's indeed but I just I asked um I asked people related to the world of books, authors, agents, editors and publishers, do you feel like you fit in? I know that is a broad and quite personal question. I just wonder if you've ever thought about it and whether you have a clear answer. I was wondering about this idea of like belonging and fitting in and community. Uh, because partly because I'd been away uh, this past weekend researching my new book and I'd spent some time with people where I was playing board games and card games and they were strangers it was like some different people across the country that I went to visit for research for my book and uh, I felt when I met a variety of strangers across the weekend this very rapid feeling of oh like I feel like I'm I feel very comfortable I feel like I fit in I feel like this is a community that I feel normal and safe in and I can be myself in and I was like huh that's odd uh not intrinsically odd but just odd that I should notice that and odd that um it just made it kind of just brought to mind how often I don't feel like that and I started thinking about what well, do I feel like that in my professional life do I look around me and feel like I belong like I fit in and the the answer may surprise you. No, I don't think it will. The, the answer is that, no, I don't. But then I wanted to ask, you know, because then the, uh, I was like, do I feel like I belong as a writer? Do I feel like I, I, I've kind of, I'm accepted professionally as like a, as a creative writing person, whatever that is. See, I don't even have a very clear definition of who I am. And, and the answer was, the answer was no. I don't like I don't feel as a non-fiction writer I'm, I'm more or less a non-entity I've had one sort of very minor book out in non-fiction uh, over 10 years ago and that's it I've got another one coming out next year but I'm writing in, a, in the mental health field something I've never written in before so I just feel like a very much a newcomer to that um, I wrote I've written two fantasy books do I feel that they were, do I feel sort of accepted or really known by the fantasy community or the SFF community? No, not really. Like I've never been to a, a convention. I, I, I've, I'm not in the loop with all the people who seem to know each other who are science fiction and fantasy authors. I'm not in those kind of groups of people when they're, read you know reading each other's books and uh blurbing each other's books and promoting each other's books and recommending each other's books for 
uh, awards and things like that. I'm not in that kind of group of people that seem to be doing that to each other with each other all the time. Uh, I'm not invited to events or anything like that. So, and, and sorry, I don't mean to sound that like as a litany of complaints or bitterness. It, it, it it's not. That's just the way it is. And there was some, you know, there's some other aspects of it that I was the flip side. Anyway, there's there's a flip side to that that was kind of positive. So I don't want to sound like I'm grumbling. I'm just just giving the reasons why I don't feel like I fit in necessarily. Have I ever? Did I ever feel like I fitted in as a poet well didn't feel I was ever accepted as a page poet you know I wrote did a book of poems but like no one was coming to me as a serious poet but then I never asked to be accepted as that really I wasn't a serious poet in the sense of writing serious works of art I wanted to be an entertainer you know I wanted to do stand-up poetry I wanted to be a performer I didn't really value the idea of writing serious art in that sense, I wanted to make people laugh. I, it didn't. It wasn't something. Certainly, wasn't something of greater value. It's not that I don't like serious poems. It's just I didn't care. I just didn't. It didn't. It just genuinely didn't have value to me. In the same way that you might, it might not have value to you to become a. I don't know, like a gymnast or something. It's not that you don't think gymnastics are cool. It's not that you don't admire it in the people who do it. But it just has no, you don't, you, you've never particularly wanted to spend the time learning to do that. And maybe you wouldn't be very good at it either, but you you just don't, it's not something that you aspire to or feel like there's a lack of. But I didn't feel like I was, you know, part of the stand-up community as well, because I did poetry. I wasn't doing all these gigs. I wasn't like, I wasn't part of the stand-up circuit. I did some a lot of theatre stuff, but then I wasn't part of the theatre circuit group either because I wasn't writing plays, I wasn't casting people, I wasn't that either. So we always felt like a, like a bit kind of inter-genre in the middle of things. In fact, you know, my friends uh, in the kind of like poetry collective that I was part of for a little while, Arl 16, they were called Arl 16 because uh, when... Ross used to work in a supermarket so goes the story whenever someone would ask you know where's the where are the gravy granules and there was some, some that asked for an item he didn't know where it was he would say oh it's in aisle 16 and it became this sort of metaphor for a place where everything where you don't know where it belongs is placed this kind of storing house this limbo this liminal zone uh, of just stuff that doesn't quite we don't know it's quite, not quite this it's not quite that it doesn't have a quite a clear box to fit in to and so kind of embraced that and I was always reasonably comfortable with that and, and this is what I want to get onto is this idea you know when I put this question up and you may have thought about it yourself you may have thought like do I fit in as a writer do I look like the kind of people who are writing books do I sound like the kind of people am I a writerly person you sometimes this is uh Sometimes this is uh, uh, thought of, I can't remember the exact name of the model, but I've heard it referred to in, psych in psychology as um, not the law of appropriateness, but the sort of like w when we look at ourselves as a, a uh, and other people as models, and we try and gauge what to do by thinking, what would a person like me do in a, sit in a context like this? 
So we're kind of looking for salient models, people who, for whatever reason, uh, depending on the context, you know, same age, same gender, same might go to the same college as you, you know, like same politics, same ideology, whatever external, superficial or, you know, deeply profound uh, similarities. You're looking for a model that is reasonably similar to you. And then you look at what that though, that person's doing and you use that to judge the appropriateness of your own actions. So if you're at a restaurant and you look around and your friends who you get on with and like uh, sort of ordering a certain type of thing or they don't have a starter or they, you know, order a certain size of uh, meal, you will tend to uh, copy the group. And we know from some studies that people eat about, I think it's between 30 and 40% more calories in a group than on their own, uh, just because of those affiliation motives and those using other people as uh, as, as as models. And if there's something, if those people around you are, are very different to you, you may not use them as a uh, as a similar model you know like if they were all children you wouldn't use them the children around you as a accurate gauge of your portion sizes or the kind of food you should be choosing because you understand that they're different uh, and, and, and so that anyway this applies to i i think it might, it's interesting with how we unconsciously do it and of course like everyone doesn't think that they do this they call this the third person effect in psychology that we accept that it is done we accept that others are continually outsourcing uh, the burden of decision-making uh, onto the group. And of course, because everyone in the group is doing that, there's a feedback loop in the group uh, that can produce, you know, that normally it's uh, negative feedback, that that, that feedback is, uh, it, it cuts out the top and bottom ends and settles on a kind of uh, a median of the kind of group's decisions. But uh that it can turn into positive feedback in the same way that you get in a, a microphone and amp where uh, and that's when you get riots and things like that or orgies or whatever where the group uh, continually push its limits and that creates more disinhibited behavior which then the other people in the group join in with that which then creates more disinhibition or more extremes and so on and so on and so on until the group kind of like peaks so they can drive themselves to greater heights can be positive as well you know can to greater happiness to greater joy you've been in a crowd at a gig right you've been in a uh congregation at a satanic church you 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 know that feeling of exaltation as you as you um uh praise uh your dark master and um uh lift up his uh name as the uh as the sacrifice is uh, ceremonially disemboweled upon the altar and their blood uh, runs through the exquisitely carved channels into the uh, baptismal font before the um, flapping uh, imp is unplunged into the blood and uh, arises as your demon overlord. You, you, you know that feeling that you wouldn't do that on your own. You need the other people around you to, to whip you up as um, the rector plays a, a, a dark sonata on the uh, organ with uh, phalanges for keys phalanges are the bones in the fingers i realize i was a bit over specific there it might have taken you out of the scene i was painting 
But you get the idea. We whip each other up into it. It can be positive or negative. But there is definitely in any group, an in-group and an out-group, a group cannot exist without defining the borders of the group and who does not belong to the group. If you don't have any definition of who is not in your group, you do not have a group identity. You can't. That's why cults, which tend to have an extremely strong in-group identity, also have an extremely strong out-group identity and cut people off and, ha and, and, and typically uh, create a sense of a, an enemy. You have to have an enemy image. You have to have an out-group defined. And as writers, we're constantly going, am I, you know, am I, we're often, not all of us, but, but we often think, looking at ourselves, when we're finding writing difficult, we often look at ourselves and then look out into the world and say, do I look like, do I feel like, do I seem like the kind of people who are successful as writers? And I think that often returns the answer, no. And the great paradox is, it's not, well, it's not exactly a paradox, but it feels paradoxical, maybe it's simply an irony, is that the more successful you become as a writer, the more you move into what you imagine to be quote-unquote in-crowds, an in-group, the more you have, you know, if you suddenly find yourself, and I've had many people on the podcast who've been through this exact situation, you create your, your first or second or third book and it goes to say an auction and suddenly you're being fated by multiple publishers and you find yourself going for meetings at say five or six different publishing houses that's the dream and you arrive there and you, you go there with your agent and you uh, you get buzzed in you uh, you go up in a, a glass elevator or you're taken through to a a, a meeting room and there are five or six smiling members of staff there uh, maybe maybe you're just simply invited to a phone uh, you know a group phone call i think they often would do that nowadays uh, and, and and they're all like hey how are you loved the book say four or five different strange we've been sharing it around the office really like it. all these professionals telling you how much they like and here's what we would do with it and they're offering you some serious money for it as well so you are the toast of the town and yet in those situations it is not uncommon to feel not like you've made it so much as suddenly feeling like an outsider and I've got to ask, why would you feel, why would you, I, I'm not sure how reasonable it is. So I just want to like, I, I, I want to be clear, uh, at least express, uh, at least uh, an opinion, and if not an uh, opinion of prejudice, but like, I do not think that any part, any industry sort of owes you or can even necessarily bestow upon you the feeling of being an insider part of the group accepted part of the community i think partly because like authors like definitionally we're part of the publishing world but we actually don't work with these the AR agents and editors and the people at the publishing house that much we're not in the building every day. We're not going for meetings with them all the time uh, because we're writing. We're actually alone a lot of the time. 
why would I going to someone else's place of work be like hi and kind of wave at people like they're my colleagues I mean look I I, I do know people at my, my my publishers to say hello to it's really nice to see them and I like that you know all the people I've encountered I think actually most of the people I've encountered across publishing in general like I found to be very nice people and I've liked very much and I've got friends who I knew before they were in publishing who then you know managed to get positions who are now part of that system and you know I'm friends with so but I don't feel I don't feel like I'm an insider or even really part of the community I don't feel like I fit in partly because it's just not my it's just not my job like it's not my job it's not it's not it's not up to them to make me feel like that because they're busy doing work and I'm busy doing my work over here and like I kind of what I'm not there like why would why would they what why is that their responsibility it's just that's that sort of weird and you know like the publishing industry is not your mum and dad it's not their job to parent you that's what I tell myself quite a lot it's because I often feel myself sort of seeking that is like I want reassurance I want guidance I want to be parented through stuff Tim we're really proud of you like it's a job it's like like it's a financial relationship and I, I I can seek that in in my friends and in my family and in uh, you know in in my with my wife I can say hey you know I'm I'm feeling a bit unsure about this and and, and she can talk to me and I we can have that conversation but it's not and, and I can express those fe- feelings with an editor or an agent like oh I'm feeling a bit worried about this or I'm unsure that's fine but it's not actually that that's it's not technically their job to manage that and and don't get me wrong they have done with me like i, I can i can be sort of terrible in acting out in an emotional way in a way that had you told me about someone else doing it i i i, I would probably judge them as a dreadful prima donna i think unfairly because it, when you're in a cold state when you're not emotional when you're thinking about uh situations that writers face from a position of you know eating a biscuit having a cup of tea and just pondering it intellectually it's very easy to imagine that you react uh with complete sort of clinical rationality and you take the long perspective but actually i don't as it turns out not unreasonably when these things affect your ability to like feed your child and keep a roof over your head and things like that you know it becomes a professional interest but the answer is like do i feel like i fit in 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 writing in the world of books no no i i I think part of that is a is a class thing that maybe like when i i go to the world of publishing i'm very aware that it is is largely although not exclusively in a kind of upper middle class world of people from sort of reasonably connected generally reasonably uh, prosperous backgrounds uh, that's not my background at all you know like my my mum's working class she grew up she was 
one of two working class people in her school when they were still doing you 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 still were divided between sort of uh, grammar schools and uh state schools with like a test and she passed and went to grammar school she's one of two uh working class kids there well the other one her dad worked at the gas works the other girl dad was a chimney sweep and none of the other kids talked to them that was just she just talked to that girl because that was how divided not that long ago britain was in terms of the class system and that's still perpetuated although less but it still exists now and though that feeling and that class that consciousness of the class divides is you know it's 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 with me now and i feel it and 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 i'm aware that like there's an element of that that is just uh, worry and projection that doesn't exist and then there's an element of it to do with who knows who how much money you've got to go and travel to x y and z and spend your time speculatively doing x y and z that isn't at all uh speculation because you know people just know each other and have certain backgrounds and can get on because of who they know what school they've gone to and their kind of background and i I know you know that i'm a bit I, i feel that difference in a way i don't always with other people uh i i don't that's not you know that's not my world but then it's also not my world because i don't work in it right it, it, i would st- i would feel out of place if i went to a teacher's conference and have been to a teacher's conference i did feel out of place bro but i don't teach right all of those teachers would probably be like like lower middle class like me right and say Sorry if you're a teacher and you thought that you were middle, middle class. If you're a deputy head or headmaster, maybe you can think of yourself as middle, middle class. But lower middle class is most teachers, right? If I go to a teacher's conference, like I'm... I'm not going to feel... I'm going to feel out of place. It's not because those people are like shunning me. It's because I don't fucking teach, right? Well, I, I go in occasionally, but I'm not a qualified teacher. don't have to deal with the day to day. It's not because it's an insular community. It's because it's not my job. And and the same is true of publishing to a certain extent. Um, What I was surprised at when I asked the question was actually that there was a real split between people who feel that, that yes, they writers who feel, yes, I do feel like I, I fit in. I feel very accepting. I feel like I'm part of the community. And writers who sort of felt, that they don't and that didn't seem to be tethered to you know length of career success sales genre anything like that it just it was just kind of split and and, and not only writers but you know edit had feedback from editors as well uh and people feeling like i don't feel like i fit in but there must be people who feel they feel fit they fit in even less on the other hand I wonder how valuable it is to actually fit in into the right into the publishing world or into any situation like well, what what I would say is a sort of do we culturally 
think that being an insider is a good thing or do we tend to romanticize being an outsider being a kind of change maker i, I think i you know, because i wonder whether and it's difficult right because i realize then there's gonna be you know, people listening and going well if you're if you're actually fucking excluded then it's not some romantic boot and you're not like whoa i don't i don't fit in here i'm a kind of I'm a new broom. I'm coming in as this kind of change maker. I'm, I'm the I, I'm the the exoticized outsider coming in, and I'm a, I'm a surprise. And it's like no, actually, what you face as an outsider are just a sequence of like shitty, small, irritating daily hurdles, and inconveniences and things that people don't think of because they don't consider the implications for you you know like they 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 don't get back to you on something because they sort of forget because it's easy for them to forget that this is your salary and this commission is the one th- is, is what's going to pay your rent because they're on a salary and they're dealing with multiple different books. And maybe this is a lot of money to you. Maybe, you know, maybe you're getting as a, an advance £3,000 and that seems like kind of pocket change to them. But that's going to that's going to last you three months. And this is really important to you, you know this getting this contract signed and getting it into your bank account and so i uh, and maybe it's just like casual like thoughtless things that seem a bit rude or assumptions that are made that make you feel just worn out or maybe it's how they speak to you and then you see them they've taken on another author who's who, who said this about people who have the, the background that you do or look like you or and they that that author has said something exclusionary or offensive or genuinely harmful and 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 you just kind of feel like oh i don't i'm not welcome or just crap that people say to you you go to a, a a gathering and people assume that you're a member of staff and not the author and they can't imagine that you'd be an author uh, or because of your name or your background or whatever, they assume what your book's going to be like. Or maybe you'll continue if you whenever when you are interviewed about your book or asked about it, that all the questions are continu- are continually framed through some aspect of your identity. As a con- as a woman writing contemporary crime, what do you think of other female author X? As a as a gay man, how do you yeah do you do you, do you think this spaceship in your science fiction thing how how does it how does it uh, uh, explode? Queer stereotypes. Well, maybe it's just maybe it's just a, spe- a spaceship. You know, like do you ask? Do you ask straight authors uh, how heterosexuality is explored in their 
space opera? Probably not. I mean, you could do. I think it'd be a good question, but just be consistent, right? Like it's a, like it's. You can ask people about all sorts of stuff, but just be consistent. Nobody fucking asks me how I juggle uh, writing and being a dad. Ask ask lots of female authors that kind of thing. Has it been difficult juggling domestic life and being a parent? How do you find time to write? Do you? Yeah, you know, like I, I, I'd love to be asked that. I wouldn't be offended at all. But it, I, it, it, only a certain, only certain authors get asked it, and they become, they don't, they, and they're never, they're not allowed to be author. They are adjective, adjective author. I'm always just an author when people talk to me. They talk to me about my fan, about you know genre. Sure, they're like I'd be a fantasy author or something, but they uh, they never talk about. I'm never asked to talk about whiteness or Englishness in my work or cisness. Then you know, and I so I get that that can be wearying and wear you down. Um, except. I think from a reader point of view, readers are not that desperate to be reading books by insiders. I, do, I don't think the majority of readers, if you think your own experience, I know I'm asking you, it's a little bit of a rhetorical trick because I'm asking you to reflect on your own experience, but are you, are you desperate to like read authors that are like, this person is upper middle class, they went to public school, they went to Oxbridge, and you know, I... I, I'm not trying to present myself as a super outsider because I know lots of people in publishing. I've chatted to loads of authors now. I was accepted into Oxford. I didn't go there, but I was accepted into Oxford. Um, and I have had a relatively, you know, and then, and then and then I went to a university that taught me creative writing and I, I met authors there. I, I have various contacts now. It's true. It's definitely true. And I've been helped by that a lot. Um, and some of those I've made by just getting in touch with people as well. You know, that's I've done that. But maybe it was easier for me than it would have been for other people. And uh, I've certainly had lots of cushions. But I guess what I guess I guess what I'm trying to say is like, I don't think readers are desperate to like, oh, did you go to Oxbridge? Are you an Oxbridge educated author? Are you posh? Are you? And there's nothing wrong with being posh. I'm just saying. Uh, are you white? Are you cis? Are you male? I mean, I, mean, I think actually probably there is, uh, there has been historically a reader bias bias towards male authors, and I think that's why you know several uh, uh, female authors used uh, initials to sort of disguise their gender when they were writing um, in the fear that like. Women will happily read men, but men were less likely to read books by female authors because of all sorts of prejudice they brought. So there is some element of that. But I think like now, for the most part, I, I, there are some authors who I definitely think will, will, will bulk at what they perceive to be a foreign sounding name. I, I'm sure that that prejudice still exists amongst the reading public. But but for the for the most part, I do think that readers value an outsider narrative and a sense that the author they're reading 
he's not part of the literary establishment and did not get there through favours. Now, I, I realise there'd be you may be screaming at me, going, what about celebrity authors? What about celebrity children authors? For fuck's sake, Tim, like that is just pure visibility and no content whatsoever i agree i agree i agree i agree i'm just saying i think there is a i think there is an audience and a space i think i think we value the sense of being an insider or being accepted or fitting in more than readers do i just do not think readers give a shit now of course fitting in and being accepted and being part of that space comes with all sorts of grace and favors and 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 the entire community glad handing you up the greasy pole with kind of like, can't, oh, you know, here's a, your slot on Radio 4. Here's your slot on, indeed, Radio 3. Here, come on this podcast. You can come and read at my my night. I'm going to retweet you. I'm going to put your, uh, a shout out to your book in my newsletter. You're going to be uh, reviewed. So, I look, I told you that I feel magnanimous about this do I mean magnanimous or do I mean ambiguous I mean like I've got mixed feelings because I see how it cuts both ways right like all of that and people who say oh, I'm a kind of an outsider but then within your own community you can that outsider status because you know remember how I was talking about, you know, an in-group with any with any group, you need an out-group as well. Well, for many groups, the out-group is the Oxbridge-educated, upper-middle-class, white male. Although I, I would say that publishing is actually probably like a majority. Is I'm pretty sure it's a majority female uh, profession. Uh, maybe not represented in the hierarchy uh in sort of the top level management jobs uh that balance i think probably breaks down but um i think there are more women in publishing than men i'm pretty sure uh, but that can be the out group and then your in group is is like uh, is whatever you know whatever your whoever your audience are uh if, you know whether you're you know take the kind of like beat poets or things like that uh you know you can have your your cool insiders and uh those insiders are presenting themselves as insiders by virtue of being outsiders but then they've got huge you've got huge cultural capital and it's not necessarily i'm not necessarily skirting around the idea of the you know people being uh, marginalized in some way it might just be that you are writing about i don't know you you might be just like a youtuber who who exclusively makes um youtube videos about fortnite or something and you i'm not saying fortnite in a disgusted way i'm just was thinking of a game and i went for the most popular one at the moment but imagine they're making exclusively make it playthrough videos about uh fortnite and you write a book on that based on the kind of law that you've slowly woven into your 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 stories on your channel for ages well that you are definitely like an outsider you're not on a marginalized but you're definitely like an outsider to the rest of the world they don't know who you are but that's what makes you interesting and cool to your audience it's like you get it and you get all these inside jokes and you get to deliver it and actually you may have a huge audience who follow you and boost your stuff but only within that sort of narrow field but it may still be a huge audience so being an outsider can be 
can be kind of great. And actually, you look at you look at how many sort of, uh, especially like science and medical books, and this is kind of like a slightly iffier side of it now, but how many sort of pseudoscientific and alternative medicine books get promoted by someone who's saying like, I am not part of the medical establishment. I am not part of the status quo. Here's here I look here I come with the wisdom of the outsider you get that in mental health books all the time like I went and looked at and I challenged the orthodoxy and they come with the you know the wisdom of the outsider and death I, I, I was so conscious of this when I was writing my new book coward about anxiety was that feeling of like coming into fields like neuroscience and you know like molecular biology and things like that and pulmonary biology and 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 the danger of like looking reading a couple of papers and thinking oh i think i've spotted something that hasn't occurred to anyone else before maybe i've i I, maybe i've threaded the needle uh i've twisted the pretzel and i've spotted something that none of these other people could grasp but then you find one expert who agrees with you and you feel like wow i'm challenging orthodoxy why isn't does no one else see this maybe there's a truth that no one else has spotted well maybe or maybe there are good reasons why people don't think that you don't have the skill or expertise to see that but as an outsider you can you can continually there's always a group who are going to feel like you represent them I think it's really important. To maintain your. Not pride, but integrity, if you feel like an outsider. As. Understanding it's okay not to feel like you fit in. The internet and social media has almost weaponized identity, I think. When we have advertising algorithms that perform these complex, and yet I think for all the hype behind them, often deeply flawed and inaccurate, these algorithms perform all these complex psychographical analyses on our profiles and what we've clicked on and what we've liked and what we've talked about in our direct messages on Facebook. You may have noticed whenever you talk about a particular subject, certain subjects on Facebook Messenger, suddenly you're getting adverts about them or, you know, it takes your age or sees events coming up in your life or the time of year and you're you're, you're being advertised to all the time. And capitalism, especially online with the attention economy is continually taking our behavior processing it into models of who we are and 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 selling us back an ever more thinly julienned platter of micro identities and tiny tiny subgroups that we can be part of to say ah i belong now I belong. It always makes me feel slightly like I'm losing myself when I see a group that purports to represent me or some aspect of my character. And the shock I feel when someone is actually speaking for me 
when someone is talking about some aspect of my identity and saying, see, what you've got to understand about us exes is that we feel like this. And I'm like, no, I don't. You don't know me. And I can feel like I'm losing myself. My experience is that in-groups and supposed insiders are never quite as tightly knit, as coherent or as comfortable as we imagine looking in from the outside. I think outsider status is valuable and generally regarded with admiration and a certain amount of romanticism by the world at large. I think most readers will look upon you with more empathy and with greater admiration if you're prepared to say honestly to them uh, you know if you were at a literary event and you just went I don't know how the fuck I got here I wrote a book and suddenly it got whipped up and I'm sort of very stunned and I don't feel like a writer at all I, I just think people can can relate to that in a way that as as nice as it is to imagine the writer with a sort of big W as, as the, 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 that's their writing identity I am a writer I am an author fated by the kind of thing we see in movies which is just like authors in tv shows and movies just live these fucking stupid lives that no writer has ever led they're 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 laughably bad portrayals of what it's like to be a writer because being a writer is, is largely quite boring um and not very it's not neither glamorous nor particularly writerly you know you have a I'm about to go downstairs and make myself a sandwich. It's not, I'm not going to do it in a writerly way. I'm just, I'm just me, and I'm, I'm happy <laughs> with that. You know, I think it, it, it's not a great indicator of your worth or your future success to try and figure out whether you're, uh, whether you belong, whether you're an insider, and I, you know, given that. Many writers, many authors who have written best-selling books and sold millions of copies don't feel like they fit in, don't feel like an insider. Like, what do you think, what's your basis for feeling like an insider? What do you think that feels or looks like? And maybe if you did feel like an insider, you'd feel like other people were continually resentful of you. And felt like you hadn't got there through your own work or the merits of your books, but by favours and tricks. Like, like fuck it. I think the job of all of us, including me, and, and there's some things I'm kind of skirting around. I don't want to talk about this time because I I'm sort of need to work out how I want to talk about it. But I, I've never felt like I've fitted in. But I, I've never felt like felt like I've fitted in in so many places in my life. Um, I feel awkward and spiky and 
you know even just talking about it i can feel my stammer coming out and just weird and a lot of people you know will try and talk in universe the, the times i felt most alienated most weird is when people tried to speak for me tried to speak in universalities when people tried to say look look if you want to write this is what it's like being a writer this is if you want to write you need to do this i felt like that doesn't feel like it represents my life at all it doesn't feel like it represents me that doesn't that doesn't jibe with my experience maybe there's something broken or wrong in me maybe i'm a failure maybe i'm not supposed to be a writer now maybe their conception of who a writer is and what a writer can be and what an insider and a quote-unquote proper writer looks like and how much a proper writer writes and what a proper writer writes about and, 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 and how a proper writer goes about their career and how many books a proper writer creates during their career and, and, and who they sell them to and how they publish those books and, and how they conduct themselves online and whether they stick to one genre and what those genres should be and what they should and shouldn't say in those books and how political they should be and what politics they should follow and how they should feel after something comes out and how many words you should produce in a day all of those things can make you feel like crap because you you, you hear all these they're like models they're scripts of like this is what we are this is what the group is they're the the, the continual procession of group norms that you can feel like you need to strive towards to become the uh writer this kind of like genuine article but maybe your goal maybe my goal maybe all of our goals is not to better attain the series of prescribed group norms that people are continually farting out online and in interviews and everywhere including on this podcast and including out of my lips but maybe our job is not to fit in but to create more room maybe our job is to expand the borders of possibility around what can be a writer and who can be a writer maybe if you feel like you don't fit in that's fucking great because what we can then do is stand up for ourselves and say this is who i am this is what i write like this is how much i write this is what i write about this is when i write like it or fucking lump it i'm not going anywhere and in doing so we make a new space and we make it more comfortable for people who are maybe a bit similar to us and those people will feel more like they fit it. Maybe our job is not to assimilate but to create a new lounge a new set of tables I don't know in this metaphor what kind of holding space but maybe our our job is to is to create you know kind of new front room a new meeting ground a new clubhouse where people like us can hang out who have bad days bad weeks bad months bad years who resolve over and over again to write and don't fucking do it who who've tried and and it's shit who haven't been writing since they were 
three uh, and haven't always felt like they were born to be a writer, who haven't read everything in the Western canon, who aren't constantly, constantly, constantly buying every new book by every new writer and reading it and having an opinion on it because you, if you want to write, you have to read new books. No, the reason people say that is because they're fucking writers and editors and agents who are selling new books. Like, that's why they want you to do that. That's why they want you to be familiar with what's coming out. It's not necessarily that it's going to benefit you. It's because that's what they're selling and that's how they make their money. Read what you like. And as much and as, as little as what you like. Write what you like and as much and as little as what you write. People are going to pile on you. People get on social media and they, and, 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 and they ruthlessly enforce boundaries and norms of what is and isn't a writer and who we are and who we aren't. And maybe the job is not to continually assess whether you fit in, whether you're okay, whether you have a right to be here. Maybe... Your job is to hold the fucking line and be who you are and not bend and break. And to make this space a little more welcoming for everyone who writes in all the different styles so we can have a wider, more diverse, more exciting canon of literature. Because I tell you what, it's not going to come. It's not going to come from the top down in publishing. It's going to come from the bottom up. And, and I, for one, if an author says, this is who I am, this is what I want to write, take it or leave it, that's a great relief. They're not saying what I should or shouldn't do. They're just saying, I've set up my stall. If you want it, what I'm selling, great. We're not making big sweeping generalizations about what it, it can be a broad and diverse and a multifarious buffet of different choices. That's great. But what it needn't be is a, a narrowly prescribed, hidebound sect. I think what you're writing is going to be fucking great. And if you don't want to publish it and you haven't written anything for ages, I, I think just give yourself permission to be excited about your explorations. We need more people who, who do not look like writers that are already on the inside. Because that's where the new stories, that's where the surprises are going to come from. And we need more stuff that it just doesn't fit in. It's not a novel. It's not a poem. It's not non-fiction. What is it? We don't know. That's where my excitement is. Anyway, I hope that stirred some thoughts in you if you want to support me you can now pre-order my new book uh coward uh why we get anxious and what we can do about it it's a, about mental health and about my journey trying to deal with my own severe panic attacks and anxiety uh some people have been saying some very nice things about it it's not out till may 2022 but i'll put a couple of pre-order links in the note in the show notes below if you want to make sure that you'll get a copy on them at the moment it 
comes out. If you enjoy the show and you want to support it, you can go onto my coffee page. That's uh, ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. Drop me a few beans. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. You can also get in touch with me if you've got any questions, um, complaints, concerns, or any things you'd like me to talk about in future episodes, or if you'd like to submit the first page of your novel or short story for a future episode for me to give some feedback on, you just go to Tim Clare Poet co.uk there's a contact me button click that i love to hear from you and hear how you're getting on that is the end of the show for today i enjoyed doing that uh, i'm now sweating uh, which just goes to show how incredibly unfit i am um no i've had a lovely time and i hope you have a wonderful week of writing have a wonderful